Good evening to each one of you. It's good to be here again. We're looking this weekend at God's plan for the home. Uh, last evening we looked at how commitment to Christ and how we live out that commitment to Christ in our homes makes a big difference. This morning we were looking at the fact that we as parents have, have a window of influence and, and it is amazingly short and we must take it very serious that God has placed in our hands never-dying souls that will spend eternity somewhere and we must take their, their nurture and, and teaching seriously. Now this evening, I'd like to look at a subject that uh, Sonny had assigned me some years ago, uh, parenting the teenage years. Uh, this morning we were looking more at, you know, uh, in the home, you know, small ways. At a young age, we, we start teaching these little ones principles. This evening, I want, want to look more at the teenage years. I've entitled the message, Having High Expectations for Our Teenagers. Now, I realize there's people here that do not have teenagers, quite a few of you, and, and some of you uh, have no children or, or are not married. And again, I want to challenge you that you have a, a role to fill. You have a place where you can reach out and, and touch other people's children. And um, I, was, I was single for 29 years and, and enjoyed those years and enjoyed relating to other, other uh, young people and children. And, and it's, uh, God is not limiting us in any way if he has not blessed us with children. There's many things we can do to help others. On another occasion, Sonny had asked me to... Uh, to have a Bible study with our youth. And I started out that evening, uh, we were looking at the life of Isaac and Rebecca, and I started out with a list of questions. Those of us that have been around a few years realize that troubled homes very quickly become generational. You know, grandma and grandpa didn't do well in their home, and mom and dad didn't do so well, and we're not doing so well, and and it can very quickly become generational, but it does not have to. And I wanted to challenge our youth that regardless what kind of a home you've come from, whatever level of, of closeness or spirituality that is there, it doesn't have to be transferred on into your generation. You can be a turning point, and it can change. And so I had some questions for them to ponder a little bit about their homes. Uh, a number of these questions were continuum one to ten. Uh, good, happy family times. Number one is, I can't remember the last time that happened. Number ten was, that happens every day in our home, and they were supposed to put a number to that. Family worship. Number one, can't remember the last time it happens. Number ten, it, that happens every, every day at our house, you know, whatever number they want to put there. Family arguments. We have a lot more than most, or we have a lot less than most. Loud, angry voices. That, that never happens at our house, or that happens every day. That's just how we live. Um, your parents' marriage. 
much worse than most or much better than most? Your parents compared to your grandparents. I wanted them to think generationally. Is this a pattern? Is this a pattern in our, our homes? Are we, are we having just family problems one generation after another? Uh, another question I asked them, uh, do you like to hang around home? Number one would be, I would go most anywhere rather than stay at home. Or I often miss youth activities just to be at home with my family. Uh, conflict in the home. Uh, do my parents have conflict with their brothers and sisters? Father's side, fam uh, mother's side. Do I have a family member I would like to be someday? And, you know, some of the young people answered, no, I don't want to be like anybody in my family. That's sad, but that's reality for some people. I asked them, do they have conflict? These were yes or no questions. Uh, do you have conflict with any of your brothers and sisters? Do you have conflict with your parents? I wanted them to think, what, what are some patterns that are, are happening in their homes and what are some generational patterns? Do I have a favorite brother or sister? Um, most, do most youth do things they hope their parents never find out? And they were sure that most youth do things that they hope their parents never find out. And then I asked them if they do things <laughs> that they hope their parents never find out, and they thought they probably do. Uh, do my parents have a favorite child? And after we got through these questions, I divided them up in little groups and told them to add 20 years to their age and they were supposed to come up with three things that they expected of their teenagers and three things they were going to do for their teenagers. Uh, the thing that was amazing to me is back to this question, you know, do most teenagers do things they hope their parents never find out? They were sure that they did. But when they added 20 years to their age and they were going to be the parents, they didn't like that idea that, that teenagers were going to be doing things that they didn't know about and they wanted to know. That was the whole point. <laughs> they were supposed to discover that, that right now their parents want to know what's going on and it's wise for them to be open with their parents. I realize here this evening and, and throughout the weekend, you know, talking about the home uh, can bring back a lot of memories and sometimes painful memories, whether it's your own uh, home you grew up in or, or those of us that our families are pretty much raised and, and there's some painful things have happened in our homes. I realize that. I would challenge you to never give up hope. It's like the father in the, in the story of the prodigal son. He was watching that road. And maybe today, maybe today, my child will come home. Uh, don't give up hope. God is still working. And maybe today, your child will come home, come back to God or whatever. John, John Koblenz in his book, uh, 
uh, I forget the title of it. No, it's a premarital counseling book. He says this, uh, there can be a good response to a good home. There can be a bad response to a bad home. There can be a bad response to a good home. And there can also be a good response to a bad home. It's our response that counts, not the home we grew up in. We are not bound by the home we grew up in. Yes, we talked about it this morning. It's our point of reference, and it does have an impact on us, but we're not bound to that. We can have a good response in, in spite of having grown up in a home that is less than ideal. All of us can identify with 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And particularly those of us that are parents of teenagers or older, that there is no greater joy than to hear that our children are walking in truth. And I think the opposite is probably just as true. There is no greater sorrow than to hear that our children are living in sin. And so my heart goes out to, to anyone here this evening that, that is experiencing that. That's painful. And, and God can give you grace for that as well. We're talking tonight about having high expectations for the teenage years. Some examples in scripture, and we won't, for lack of time, won't look at these uh, but we're, they're familiar, we know them, we talked about them earlier this weekend. Uh, Joseph, Daniel, uh, the Israelite maid, I don't think we talked about her, Queen Esther. These individuals uh, had very difficult, uh, very abnormal family situations, but someone had high expectations for them, someone instilled the fear of God in their hearts. Someone taught them principles of truth that they embraced and it became part of their life and it, and it made a difference in, in how they faced uh, the situations they found themselves in and, and the situations were very, very difficult. But they were faithful and came through uh, victorious You know, by the time our children get to the teenage years, uh, we are pretty much dealing with uh, the result of the first 12 years of our parenting. I mean, that's, that's just kind of the long and short of it. By the time the teenage years come, we're just kind of dealing with the result of what has happened those first 12 years. You know, if we take time for the cuts and the bruises and fixing the trikes and the bikes, listening to the stories, answering their questions, that paves the way for the teenage years when, when maybe they're not quite as quick and ready to listen to mama and daddy. We, we, we better pay attention when they're younger and take time for those, those questions because we're, we're paving the way to keep that relationship going into the, the teenage years. There's six, six things here I have that we want to remember as we parent 
teenagers. And teenagers, you listen too because your mom and daddy uh, probably are listening. And so it would be good for you too as well. Number one, the teenage years are not a parenthesis. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, far too often I think we have the mentality that, that in, in childhood children are supposed to obey mom and dad. That's just expected and, and we have ways of making it happen if they don't want to. Uh, adult life is coming and, and all the responsibilities that come with adult life but the teenage years are a time, you know, when young people are expected to be a little irresponsible, a little rebellious, and do as little as possible. Uh, I don't buy that. I don't think that's God's plan for, for teenage uh, Christians, teenage children. I think teenagers oftentimes live up to the expectations we have for them. If we expect them to be irresponsible and rebellious, they'll be irresponsible and rebellious. If we expect them to be young adults, to pick up responsibility, to be uh, people of maturity and purity, they often will. Like I mentioned earlier, somebody had high expectations for Joseph and Daniel and the Israelite maid and Queen Esther, and, and they, were, they were faithful. However, the teenage years are a transition time, and we cannot, we cannot get away from that. Uh, up until this point, you know, we had pretty much all the influence on their lives. There was little influences here and there, but mainly they were under our roof, under our influence, and, and not too much else. But that's changing. That's going to change fast when we get into the teenage years. There's going to be influence from other places. Let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs writer picks up on, on this uh, quite a bit. Throughout his writings, we'll just look at some. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be ornaments of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up. Alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall find our houses with we shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and make haste to shed blood. That's what the Proverbs writer has to say about bad company, peers that are not good, and we must take heed. Let's go back to Proverbs, Proverbs 27. Verse 
Proverbs 27, a familiar verse, verse 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We have an impact on each other, and that's the way God intended it. Verse 6 of chapter 27, fruitful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, we can have a real impact on each other, and God intended it that way. The second thing we want to remember as parents is the influence of peers that our children are faced with. Now, I don't know how it is for you, but I think for most parents, uh, bad influence is something other people's children do to my children. We generally don't think of our children as being a bad influence on others. Um, that's just something that comes our way. We, we wouldn't, our children would never do that. Um, well, hopefully we know better, but, but we, we've got to watch. You know, what, what your teenagers do affects my teenagers in a congregation. And we must, we must be aware of that. And it's, it's so much better if as parents we can be in touch with one another and, and, and be on the same page as much as possible so that, that there's not a lot of conflict with, uh, with how teenagers and, uh, interact and their expectations from, from their parents. Like I mentioned, as we, as we get into the teenage years, this, this influence that is beyond our control really picks up the pace. They have friends. Uh, they have teachers. They, uh, they read books. And nowadays they read Facebook, and they're connected with people all over if, if you have Facebook uh, in your home. Uh, they're beginning to think for themselves, and that's good. That's natural. That's normal. And, and they're, they're no longer just believing everything Daddy says. Sometimes they're sure they know better than what Daddy does. Of course they do. They're, you know, he, he don't even know how to run a computer or his cell phone or anything else. Uh, of course they know more than he does. I think as, as uh, parents of teenagers, we want to know who our children's peers are. That's a good place to start. Know who their peers are. Now, that's a whole lot easier than South Boston than it is in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I trust you. Uh, you have some advantages to kind of know who your children's peers are. My parents didn't always know who my peers were, and uh, sometimes they had surprises. Most of them, uh, I hope, were good, but uh, they didn't know. They didn't always know who my peers were. The goal for us as parents, particularly the early teenage years, we should know where our children are, who they're with, and what they're doing at all times. And I would say this, if you don't, you're an irresponsible parent. In the early teenage years, if you don't know where your children are, you don't know who they're with, and you don't know what they're doing, you're an irresponsible parent. Now, I realize that that there are times when teenagers don't want their parents to know 
and they're doing things they don't want their parents to find out. And, and that's a challenge. That's a problem. And my heart goes out to any parent that is, that is facing that. That is tough. And that, that takes a lot of prayer and, and guidance to, to find your way through that. I think a good, a good place to start is showing an interest in their friends. Uh, find out who they are. Have them over to your house. Interact with them. Find out what, what activities they're involved in. What are their goals? What are their struggles? Learn to, as much as possible to keep communication open. Even if things are not going well, uh, communication is, is a good thing to keep open as best you can. And like I said before, remember, what your teenagers are doing affect my teenagers. My teenagers affect your teenagers. And we must realize that and be sensitive to that. We all want our teenagers to be around positive influence. I mean, that's, that's natural, that's normal, that's, that's what parents want. And we, we need to be careful about the tension between homes. Uh, I mentioned this morning that uh, we would do some things different, I, I think, if we uh, were starting over. There were some families in our community uh, that were friends with our children that, that we felt were a bad influence. And so we cut ties with those families and our children didn't go to their houses and, uh, and as the years went by, our concerns, it became obvious that our concerns were legitimate. However, looking back, we realized that maybe we could have been more helpful had we invited those children over to our house and provided more supervision and tried to have more of an impact on, on those children rather than just cutting ties. Just imagine your a parent, and you have teenagers that are not doing well, and all the families in the church that have, you know, good, godly young people cut ties with you, what hope do you have of turning things around if, if all the positive influence is cut off? So, so let's be sensitive to, to situations where not all is well. Let's, let's try our best to, to reach out and, and to, to touch those lives. And, and uh, I realize that you can't just send your children to somebody else's home where there's no supervision. But you can invite them to your house. You can interact with them, take them fishing, camping, whatever, and, and hopefully make a difference. Because we're talking about eternity these choices eventually end up with an eternal destination. Number three, we must realize that, that asking and giving permission takes on a different face when we get to the teenage years. And I'm sure that, that many uh, families handle this differently, and, and I'm sure there's many right ways to handle this, but... At some point, the asking becomes telling. You know, 
our children grow up asking mom and dad, can we do this, can we do that? And at some point they say, you know, we're doing this and we're doing that. And uh, I, I hate to see parents put an age on this, that hey, once you turn whatever, 16, 18, 21 or whatever, you're on your own and you don't have to ask me about anything. I think it's so much better if, if it just slowly evolves and, and one day we realize they're no longer asking, they're telling and we feel good about it, they feel good about it and none of us can tell for sure when it happened. That's ideal. That doesn't, the ideal doesn't always happen, I'm, I'm aware of that. I remember telling one of our sons one time, now do you realize that you're not telling me where you're going, you're asking me. Uh, I wanted him to know he was not uh, at the place where he can just tell me he's going places. He's still asking. <laughs> so uh, we need to remind our children of that sometimes. But, but I think we must face the reality as parents that that time's coming when they make decisions on their own. And now they, they tell us that, you know, we're going to town this evening. And, and we say, that's fine, thank you for telling me. Um, they are no longer asking when they can go and what they can do. That time's coming, we must realize that as parents. Number four, we want our teenagers to avoid pornography. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. We want our children, especially our sons, to realize that God will judge them for what they put in front of their eyes. You know, pornography always was a terrible curse on society, but it's getting worse. Uh, when I was a teenager, there was basically two places that you could find pornography. One was a certain aisle in certain stores where they had magazines that were not good. That was one place. The other place was friends that were not good that had the stuff. And if you could avoid those friends, avoid that owl in the store, pornography was really nowhere else to be found. That is not true at all today, and we know that. I don't know how many smartphones you have among you, but, but it's there. It's right in your pocket, and you can be 99.9% .9 sure nobody's going to catch you looking at it. And that is a whole different world than than what many of us older folks grew up with. Uh, modern technology has really changed this whole area of pornography, and the people putting this stuff out there know it, and they can catch you, and they are successful far too often. Fathers, we must warn our boys about pornography, that it's so much easier to avoid than to stop. 
If they never start, they don't have to stop. And it's so much easier to never start than to stop. It's addictive. And we must try our best to help them to never start. I think throughout the teenage years on into manhood, and I'm not sure that our responsibility as fathers ever stops for our sons to check with them regularly. Are you experiencing victory in this area of your life? It's so troubling to me to hear so often of people that, that fall, fathers, pastors, uh, into this trap. It's, it's rampant. It happens way too often. And we must take it serious. Encourage them to read Proverbs. Proverbs has many warnings about this. And obviously, you know, it's, it's a human problem. They had it thousands of years ago. But it's, it's taken on a whole new face these days, and we must be serious about it. Mothers, don't let those laundry advertisements lay around the house. Statistics would tell us that the vast majority of people that fall into pornography start right there. So don't leave them around. If you have to have them, have them away somewhere where the men in your house don't see them. Mothers, get those hunting magazines or whatever magazines come into your home. Go through them before your your boys or your husband uh, sees them. You know, cut out pages, lengthen dresses, raise necklines, whatever you need to do to make that magazine fit for your, your sons or your husband to, to look at. Or maybe, maybe it's better not to get the magazine at all. That may be the best option at times. I think as parents and particularly as mothers, before your daughter leaves home with her new husband, teach her how to go through a magazine and make it fit for her husband to see. And if he's a godly husband, he will appreciate that. And I think that uh, most of us as parents know uh, what I'm talking about here. We're talking this evening about having high expectations for our teens. And this is one area that is a terrible curse in our day, and we must take it seriously. Let's turn to to 1 Timothy 2. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. I was... Uh, I can't remember if it was a book I read or a tape I was listening to by uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss. And, and this is not a direct quote, but it, it's close to what she was saying. It goes like this. Ladies, 
When you walk into a room where there are men, you are like a candle in a room of straw, shavings, and gunpowder. How you handle and cover that candle determines whether you are sending a warm, glowing light or if you are starting fires and causing explosions. Every man sitting here knows exactly what that statement means, what I just read. They know exactly what I'm talking about. Ladies, you need to realize that you are a candle around gunpowder. And the way you cover yourself and conduct yourself makes a huge difference on whether there's going to be an explosion or not. And you must take it seriously. Mothers, you have a pretty good idea uh, whether your daughters are modest or not. Fathers, you probably know better and know exactly when your daughters are modest and when they are not. Now, I'm aware that that when we deal with uh, how the ladies dress, that uh, it's a little like skating on thin ice. You know, you you want to be cautious because the water's deep and, you know, things could go awry here. So I want to be careful. But God will bless you, fathers, for, for stepping up to the plate and uh, taking this seriously. Shame on us as fathers if we just look the other way and just hope this, this problem goes away. You know, we're just kicking the can down the road and we're leaving the dumping this problem on other people, the school teacher, the youth leaders, the pastor, the Bible school principal, the mission field director, and the future husband. If we don't deal with it as fathers, we must take this area seriously. It's not easy to go to a daughter and say, you know, that sweater's too tight and that dress isn't quite modest. And, you know, those, those are difficult things for a father to do. But God bless you, fathers, if you, you do that and you take that challenge. The future husband of that young lady will be blessed by what you have done. And all these other, the, the school teacher, the youth leaders, the Bible school, the mission director, they will all be so happy that you stepped up to the plate. After all, it's your daughter. God placed her in your home. It's your responsibility and you must step up to the plate and meet that challenge. Our sons also need to be reminded that modesty is not just for the ladies. It's amazing how, how young men are undressing these days, and, and they need that reminder as well. We're talking tonight about having high expectations for our teenagers, and I think it's appropriate that we do. The fifth area that we want to remember as parents of teenagers is that there is a time to let go. And this starts at the very beginning. And I'd just like to run down through some of the, the things that, that are slowly letting go. It starts with, you know, the first time we leave that child with a babysitter. You know, that was hard for my wife when we first started leaving that little baby with, with someone else. That's a step in letting go. When they start crawling and walking on their own and start being mobile, that's, that's letting go. 
the first time overnight, the first day at school, going off to boys' camp or girls' camp for several days in a row. It's, it's a letting go. But when the teenage years come, this thing picks up some pace. Uh, they get their first job, and they're gone for a day. Uh, I remember, uh, this would have been before he was a teenager, our oldest son, uh, Ricky John, he was just a little guy, little for his age. Uh, he was 10, and, and he was just, just seemed like a very little fellow. And uh, the neighbor wondered if he could come over and, and stack some firewood. And he wondered if I'd bring him over and get him started. And so I went over there, and here was two big dump truckloads of firewood, already split and everything. It just needed to be stacked. And uh, so I got him started on a couple of rows and told him, you know, make them as high as you can and straight as you can. And, and then I got, jumped in my truck and drove out the driveway, and it was hard. <laughs> this little guy and these big stacks of wood, and, you know, but it was letting go. He had to tackle the job himself. The first time we put them behind a steering wheel, it's huge, but... We, we do it. It's letting go. They join the youth group. They graduate from high school. They might go off to Bible school for a number of weeks. It's letting go. They get a full-time job, and they're, they're working for an employer. Young fellows come and knock on our doors and want to see our daughters, and our sons knock on other people's doors and want to see their daughters. They go on their first date. There's a wedding and a new home. And then the cycle starts all over in their home. It's a reality that that we as parents must face. And as we parent the teenage years, this picks up pace and we must realize that this is natural, it's normal, and it's, it's going to happen. There are times when, when children stick around longer than normal, and that's okay. Uh, I hope it is, because I did it. <laughs> I stuck around home till I, was, till I was 29, and those, those last six, seven years were very good years. I related to my parents in ways that I would never have had I left home at 19, 20, 21. However, as parents, we must learn to give space to, to older singles in our homes. We must give them uh, more opportunity to, to make their own decisions. And again, you know, I, I hate to put an age on this. I think it's something that just should have a natural uh, transition to where they, they make more and more of their decisions and, and, uh, and we both feel good about it. There's also, uh, there's two kinds of older singles I've observed over the years. Some are just raring to go, and they can hardly wait till they can just get out there and and do life for themselves. And then there's those that that need a little nudging. They, uh, it's just pretty nice at home, and uh, it's pretty nice to let mom and dad make the decisions, and it's just pretty nice here, and uh, we're just going to stick around here, and 
and we're just not really going to go anywhere and do anything. And those kind need some nudging. They need some coaching. They need to be uh, encouraged to start going out and making decisions. And that takes some wisdom as, as parents to, uh, to know how to do that. We need to be realistic when it comes to older singles. Uh, sometimes I thought my parents weren't. Uh, I did a lot of globe trotting in, in my 20s, and I was, uh, went a lot of places. And, and my mom scolded me a little one time. She said, Rich, she said, you need to call us. You know, you were gone for weeks, and, and you never called us once. You know, you need to let us know where you are and that everything's fine. I said, well, Mom, if everything's fine and you're not hearing anything, you, if, if you're not hearing anything, everything is fine. Well, she said, how does that work? I mean, you could be laying somewhere half dead, and, and I'm not hearing anything, and you, I need assurance that, uh, that you're okay. And uh, I thought that was ridiculous. I said, you know, I had a younger sister that was married and lived a away from home, I said, you know, she doesn't call every couple of days and tell you she's fine, so why do I have to? And Well, now that the roles are switched and I'm a parent, it looks very different. And I think maybe mom was right, that uh, it's good to, to call every few days or, or at least once a week and let your parents know that, uh, that you're okay. So, so older singles, be sensitive to your parents. And parents, be sensitive to your older singles. You need to give space. But uh, mom and dad do like to hear from you and want to know what's going on, and that's, that's, uh, that's good. When we're parenting the teenage years, we want to remember to do things together. It gets harder and harder as schedules and routines and, and things uh, crowd in, it gets harder and harder to, to have family times uh, in the teenage years. My mom said one time when there was, uh, see there's probably four of us were teenagers at one time, and she said, all I do is run a motel and a restaurant. You just come here to eat and sleep, and that's all I see of you. <laughs> and, and that's maybe a little how it was uh, some of those years. So it, 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 we have to be intentional as parents to, to make this, this family time. I think we should try as much as possible to mesh our schedules. Uh, in our community, we have a boys' club. Uh, we have boys' club twice a month on Tuesday nights and girls' club twice a month on Tuesday nights. And, my boys are involved in girls' club, and my wife and my daughters are involved. Did I say the boys are involved in boys' club? <laughs> my wife and daughter are involved in girls' club. And, and so I try as much as possible to plan committee meetings and other meetings and people I have to meet. And, you know, I try to go for those Tuesday evenings because the family's going to be broke up anyway. And so it takes some planning and intention to try to have as many evenings at at home as we can, and, and some weeks we don't have any, but, but we, we try, and, and I think that's important. One of the, one of the wisest things I did as, as a young father when our children were quite young, I realized that we're not having enough family time, and I started carving out Monday evenings, and I pushed off committee meetings and board meetings, and, and as much as possible, I tried to be home every Monday evening. And one by one, I would take the children 
And we do things, particularly in summertime. I do something with one child one Monday evening, next child the next Monday evening. And once all the children had their turn, then I'd take my wife out to eat the next Monday evening, and then we'd start over. When wintertime would come and it wasn't as easy to do things uh, out and about, we would uh, play games at home. But whoever's child, it was their turn that Monday night, they would choose the games if it was the littlest, we would play memory and things like that, and, or mother may I. They would choose the games, whatever they want, for the, for the whole evening. And they would choose the snack, and it was their evening. And then, you know, one of the other children would have to turn the next Monday evening. That was good. That really met a need in, in our home. Uh, as the children got older, it was harder and harder to do that, and it doesn't happen nearly as often anymore but but those were good years and I would challenge you as busy young fathers to carve out one evening a week when you can have family time and your children can look forward to this as being a time we're going to do things together as a family you know for me I came to realize that the reason ministers meetings happen and committee meetings happen is because we agree on a date and we all show up and it might be sad if we have to do that as a family, but if it's the way to make it happen, let's do it. Let's set a date and let's plan that we're going to all be home that evening and we're going to do something together. And with some, some effort and scheduling, we can make that happen and you can make that happen. Meal times together are so important. You know, the, the American family doesn't eat meals together at Anymore, and, and it's, it's sad how many of our homes where, where people don't eat together. You know, we were doing premarital counseling with a couple here some time ago, and I said, eat supper together? No, that, that don't happen at our house. We don't do that. And that, that was sad. We should eat meals together. Uh, we, we don't always, but we try. Uh, my wife will hold, hold the meal an extra 15, 20 minutes if... One of the boys are getting home a little late so that we can all eat together. Those are good family times when we can have family discussions. It's a valuable teaching tool to be sitting around the supper table after the food is eaten and, and share with one another. Family traditions are important. How birthdays are celebrated. What you do at Christmas time. Annual camping. Uh, Saturday evening pizza, Sunday afternoon popcorn, Wednesday evening ice cream, whatever the traditions are in your home, those traditions are important. There's several reasons. One is the children generally look forward to those traditions. It brings a certain amount of stability and security into the home. And when they're away from home, whether they're away from home at Bible school or on the mission field, some legitimate reason, or whether they're away from home as a rebellious child that stumped out of the door and left home. If they know that Saturday evening the rest of the family's eating pizza, Sunday afternoon the rest of the family's eating popcorn, that does something to them on the mission field at Bible school or downtown where they're living a wicked life. It does something to them to know that the family traditions are going on in spite of their absence. So parents, establish family traditions. Does your parents, 
so that your children can, can look on those. Even when they're not home, it does them good to know that it's happening in their, in their absence. Daily family worship can be one of our most valuable teaching tools. It's hard. It's difficult to make it happen. You have to sit down as a family and decide what part of the day is the best time to make that happen. Fathers, you need to take the initiative. Mothers, you need to support and do your part in helping the family schedule to work so that your husband can make it happen. I, it would be curious to know how many homes here have a regular family worship time. I hope you all do. Young couples, start. If you start young, your children get used to it and they, they sit up and, and pay attention and, and they love the Bible stories and, and it just it becomes a pattern of life that, that they will gladly accept as, as time goes on if, if you start early when, when they're young. It's a time to pass on foundational truths of what it means to, to be saved, what it means to live for God and, and to, to have a, a changed life like we were talking about this morning, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. It's an opportunity to, to share those truths. Being consistent is one thing. Making it happen, another is being intentional about it. In our home, we, we've been fairly, fairly consistent, but I don't think I've always been as intentional as I could have been in passing on truth and, and making good things happen in our family worship. Okay, I'd like to close uh, here soon. I have a couple things yet. Uh, there's a song that uh, the Esch family, that a number of them were killed in that accident a few years back. There's a song that they sing. I don't know if they wrote the song. But it's a song they sing that, that has touched my heart. Uh, you know, parents, we have, we have important roles to fill. The mother has important roles. In a lot of ways, the, the, the home revolves around her. But when it comes to family life, fathers, it's your job to step up and to lead out. And, and it has an impact on your children. Uh, listen to this song. The song is written to daddies. Daddy, will you be there for me when I wake up in the night? When I cannot close my eyes and sleep, will you rock me, hold me tight? Will you drive my tractor on the floor, pitch my balls and push my swing? May I come to you with broken toys? Will you mend my broken things? Will you be there? Will you love my mommy and hug me every day? Oh, daddy, daddy, will you be home at night? Teach me how to pray. When you come home from your work at night, daddy, I want you near. There are problems that are big to me. Will you stop and give your ear? I don't care if you are rich or poor. I just want to have your heart. I just want to know that you're my friend. I will try to do my part. Will you be there when I have a problem and I need to share? Oh, daddy, daddy, will you be there for me? Will you really care? Daddy, will you be there for me when I need someone to care? When I face this life's complexities, 
and I'm ready to despair. Am I more to you than anything? Do you love me? I'm your child. May I come to you with broken dreams when I'm broken and defiled? Will you be there? Will you guide me? Will you help me to forgive? Oh, Daddy, Daddy, will you be there for me? Teach me how to live. Daddy, will you be there for me when I face my setting sun? When I stand before the judgment seat, will I hear those words, well done? Will you have taught me right from wrong? Will your teaching stand the test? Will I enter into heaven's land with my Lord forever blessed? I'm depending on you, Daddy, and I hope you understand. Oh, Daddy, Daddy, you are my gift from God. Take me, hold my hand. We covered uh, a lot of areas of of family life this weekend, and and maybe some of us as parents are, are feeling a bit overwhelmed. Uh, we see places we failed and places we are failing. You know, God does not expect you to do this on your own. He has promised that he won't leave us, he won't forsake us, and he's, he's there to help. I would challenge you, if if there's an area that in your family life that has really uh, God has spoken to you about, find an older couple that that has done well. They've raised their family. Uh, ask advice. Uh, ask them to to mentor you and and help you through some difficult times. Uh, it can be humbling to to go and ask for help, but. That's God's intention. That's what the church is for. That's what we're here for as as brothers and sisters. Regardless where you're starting from, God has a path from where you are right now to where he wants you to be. You can start right now heading in the right direction. It don't matter where. It don't matter where you're starting from. God has that path from there to where he wants you to be. And he will do what he can to to help you. Before I close, I would like uh, for you all to close your eyes. And if anyone here tonight, if if God has spoken to you about your family and, and you would like prayer for a special need in your home, uh, raise your hand, raise your hand high, and, uh, and we will pray for you. Anyone, do you have a special need in your home that you would like prayer for? Okay, anyone else? All right, thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for each one of us, for being our heavenly father and for how you, you care for us and, and how you have planned for the family, for fathers and mothers and sons and daughters to live together in unity and harmony and bringing glory to you. Father, we just pray for each home here this evening and particularly those that expressed a special need Father, I just pray that you would meet that special need, that you would light the pathway before them that you want to take 
want them to take from where they are to where you want them to be. Father, I pray for the sons and daughters here tonight that they would be obedient to their parents, that they would respect them in spite of failures. Father, I pray for the parents here tonight that may have wayward children that are not serving you, that you would give them hope, help them to continue to pray and to to, uh, make an effort to communicate and to draw them. And Father, we just pray that those those wayward sons and daughters would, would turn their hearts towards home. They would turn their hearts towards you, Lord, and allow you to cleanse and to restore them. Father, we realize that, that eternity is coming and that all of us will spend eternity somewhere. Help us to take our responsibility as parents seriously and to guide these young ones into the way of truth and to walk in your footsteps. Guide us from this place as we go to to our respective homes and areas of responsibility that we would have a new zeal and desire to be a family unit that sheds light out into the community and is a blessing to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll turn the time back over to Josh if you want a song or whatever. You can close the service.